Hello and welcome to my podcast. My name is Tim Cole and I'm delighted to have you join me. It's my desire to raise up spiritual sons and daughters all across the world who believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news that God loves us, that he gave himself for us, and he has empowered us to live our best lives on this side of eternity. Hey, thank you for joining me. I want to just talk to you about some things that have been percolating inside of me the last uh, uh, little bit here. And um, I, I'm, I'm really being challenged by the Lord to uh, make, make an adjustment in my worldview. Uh, there have been seasons in my life where I felt like the Lord has um, put his hands inside of my chest in, in the gentle touch of his hands on my heart and just began to adjust the perspective of my heart. And he does it in such a tender way and yet truth matters. And so as you, as you know, if you, if you're only going two feet, if your journey is only 10 feet, if your axis is off, your perspective is off just a little bit, it doesn't really matter. But if your journey is longer than that, and our lives are longer than that, a little bit of adjustment of perspective really makes a huge difference in where we end up. So that's what the Lord's been doing. And I want to share that with you. There's some revelation that comes along with that. And I want to challenge you, just be open and uh, hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us. Because I think this is not just in my life. I know as I lead a church and uh, lead ministries and uh, travel uh, the world, uh, I I know that this applies to us as the body of Christ. So let him put his hands inside of your chest and just make this little adjustment. Um, So I want to talk to you about the kingdom worldview and the mindset of what, what a disciple of Jesus is. Now, what's a worldview? A worldview is a, an amalgamation or a, a consolidation, if you will, of our what we value and what we believe. In other words, truth, the truths that we believe, uh, create a sense of value for certain things. And out of that truth and value, we live and we function. We do certain things. Uh, and we process what happens to us, our experiences, through those truths and values. And that also alters um, what we functionally do in our lives. So that's our worldview. That's why it's so important. It's the sieve, if you will, or the, uh, the glasses the, through which we take in life and then process out life. And I want to say to you, there are two basic um, functions. And I'm going to define this uh, the way the Lord defined it for me. I know uh, we can get caught up too much, um, focus too much on what we do, and we define ourselves by what we do instead of who we are. Who we are, however, does produce what we do. And so we can't dismiss what we do and say, well, it has nothing to do with who we are. No, actually it does. Who we are, our identity produces what we do. I love what, how Luke said it uh, to Theophilus when he was writing the book of Acts. He said, you know, uh, Theophilus, how I wrote to you uh, my first letter about what Jesus both began to do and to teach. Listen to the order. The definition of Luke to Theophilus about who Jesus was, was first what he did, and then what he taught. So, uh, you know, what you do, this is an important discipleship moment. Think about this. If you want to make disciples, we we in in the West, in particular, we teach, and then we get them to do something. So we, we teach them first, so they have an understanding, and then we try to get them to do something. That's backwards. I know Jesus grew up in an Eastern mindset, but let me just say this. There's something to this. Jesus did things so his disciples could watch things in action, watch Jesus in action doing things. And then he taught them about what he did. 
And there's something really powerful about that discipleship model. So let me talk to you about a, the Christian worldview, a kingdom worldview, and in terms of what we do, uh, Jesus both did and taught. So this is uh, how Holy Spirit began to talk to me about, we, you know, there are two basic modes of Christian, being a Christian, and, and what it looks like and means functionally to be a Christian. And I'll define them. In, and I know you can, you could, this is an oversimplification. I, I warn you up front, oversimplification. I know there's many more than this, but you'll see why I've chosen these two in just a moment. Um, but here they are. One way to define uh, our, our function through a Christian or kingdom worldview is planting. And the second way to define it is warfare or investing and fighting, planting and investing, or warfare and fighting. They're two basic distillations of the function of a Christian in the world. And this is how we see ourselves and what functionally we end up doing or setting ourselves to do in the earth is usually either planting and investing or warring and fighting. And this really comes all the way back to the beginning, comes from our assignment uh, in Genesis chapter one, first in one twenty six, we find out that we all inherited an, an identity or were created with an identity in his image and in his likeness. Identity becomes for before uh, comes before doing. So who we are actually is the most important thing. That's how we think about ourselves or what we think about ourselves that produces actually produces our functional actions. So I get that. We were all given an identity first by God. Then secondly, in one Genesis 1.28, then God blessed them. Do you understand that you are carrying the blessing of God, not completely outside of any function or doing anything? You got the blessing of God. We and Adam were blessed before we did anything, before we fulfilled anything. Just like Jesus in his uh, baptism, water baptism, he came up out of the water. Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Now, it's, it's interesting that at that point, he'd done nothing. He had functionally not, he had not functioned as the, as the Messiah. He, he hadn't done miracles. He hadn't, hadn't raised the dead. He was just the son. He had his identity, but he already had the blessing. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He had the blessing. You and I have a blessing before we ever do anything. But, but those two, identity and blessing, should always and will always produce something. And we're always going to live out what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about how he sees us in favor and blessing. So here's the assignment that was given to all of us. There are five things. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Five things. Fruitfulness, multiplication, filling. Two things. Subdue it, have dominion. Okay, so we have the five things broken up into two parts, two functionally different parts. We have, we have fruitfulness, we have multiplication, and we have filling the earth. You can't fill the earth unless you're multiplying your fruitfulness, right? One-to-one, one-to-one fruitfulness will never, I mean, it'll take forever to fill the earth. But if you have God's blessing on you, your fruitfulness gets multiplied enough that you can fill the earth, all right? That's on one side. That's on the farming and investing side, the planting and investing side. And then two-fifths of the five assignment is in subduing and taking dominion. That's the warfare, and that's the fighting side. So we have 
three-fifths in planting and, and investing and two-fifths in warring and fighting. So more of our assignment, it's accurate to say more of our assignment and our function in the, in the earth and therefore our worldview should be shaped more and targeted and bent more toward planting, investing than warring and fighting. It's not that warring and fighting are unimportant. They're two-fifths of our assignment. We need them. We'll talk about that in a moment. If we look at tools and giftings, for instance, we see the same kind of delineation. Isaiah 2, 4, he will judge between the nations and rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. Listen to the two tools. They're swords, fighting instruments, plowshares, farming, planting, investing in instruments. And then he says uh, in Joel, God says in Joel 3.10, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. It's interesting, still this, the two different farm implements and the fighting implements, but now it's reversed. So there's a season to war, beat your plowshares and your pruning hooks into warring elements. And then there's a season to, to plant. So you want to beat your swords into plowshares. It's not an either-or equation. It's a both-and equation. But if we're not careful, we'll be shaped and conformed by what's going on in the world around us, which is always full of war. You will always have rumors of war and wars, right? Cain killed Abel. There's, there's always aggression going on in the earth because it's in corruption, and it's been subjected to corruption, Romans chapter 8. So if we're not careful, we'll let the corruption of the world and the atmosphere of the world shape us to always have this warfare, warfare, warfare as our primary worldview as a believer or as a Christian. And I want to suggest you based only on our assignment, primarily on our assignment, which is three-fifths planting and farming and investing and two-fifths worrying and taking dominion. Our primary shouldn't be war. Our primary should be investing and planting. But even in, in our tools, think about this. First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians uh, 10 talks about our weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Then Ephesians 6 tells us we have to get this armor. We got the breastplate. We got all these pieces of armor. And then we have the sword, right? Urgh, sword. So that we can, having done all, stand. Because there's principalities and powers. And they're true. It's real. It's absolutely real. And so we need weapons in the New Testament, in our kingdom worldview. And there are, there are these two passages um, of tools of warfare, weapons of warfare. we got an armor of God with a sword, right? But then we have three gift lists in the New Testament. One's the gifts of the Father, Father uh, to, the, to, the, to his sons and daughters, uh, Romans chapter 12, right? These are often called the motivational gifts, gifts of administration and gifts of, of uh, hospitality and, and faith and so on. Then we have the gifts of the Spirit, the nine gifts of the Spirit in chapter 12 of, verse, of 1 Corinthians, right? Gift of discerning of spirits and um, tongues and interpretation, prophecy and sign, uh, miracles and uh, healing and nine gifts of the Spirit. Then we have five gifts of the Son of Christ to the church in Ephesians chapter 4, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So we have three and two. We have three gift lists and we have two Two war lists, if you will, gifts, tools of war, weapons of warfare, and the, the armor of God leading to this sword of the spirit. Powerful. Same delineation. See, well, there's a season for both, warring and for planting. But the problem with the Christian worldview today is we're almost exclusively developing believers along the warfare worldview. 
How many Christians do you know around you that are really set on investing in other people around them? That really understand that their primary value on the planet for the king is the people around them that God has set for them to plant into, sow the seed of the kingdom into, so that Holy Spirit can supernaturally multiply a harvest in their lives. And out of that harvest, there's plenty of resource to build the kingdom in the entire earth. See, Jesus is not coming back again until all of his enemies have been subdued. That's the warfare part. Awesome. But he's coming for a king, for, for his bride that's spotless. This is, this, is, this is powerful. It's not either or, it's both and. But the problem with the Christian worldview today is we're almost exclusively either or. And the or and, and the part of fighting and warfare, learning how to spiritually be able to war, and, and it's important, but we've overemphasized that. And we have far few believers today that understand that our primary and our essential purpose in the earth is to be fruitful, multiply, and fill. Warfare is vital when you're advancing and taking territory, when you're being attacked, or when you're needing to go after little foxes that are spoiling your vine. You need to know how to war. Battles are inevitable to take, both to take and to maintain our promised land. Let's just talk in a moment, uh, for a moment, about this promised land, the concept of the promised land. Of course, God delivered uh, Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. A picture of us being delivered out of darkness into light, right? Then he took them through the wilderness. They chose a 40-year plan. He wanted us something much shorter. But after the 40 years they chose in the wilderness, which was fighting to stay alive, God supernaturally providing with manna and water out of a rock into a promised land living. Promised land living was intended to be much different than the wilderness living. We'll talk about that in a moment. But we're going to compare this to promised land living. See, battles, fighting and uh, warring are inevitable and, and, and unavoidable if we want to take and maintain the promised land living. God's promised some things to us and a place, the promised land in the Old Testament is a picture for us. There's promised land living in the New Testament. Battles and learning how to war and fight are, are, are so valuable to get us into the promised land and to maintain promised land space. But battling is not the purpose of promised land living. We, God didn't take them into the promised land so they could fight all the time. That's not the purpose. Promised land purpose was planting and investing in partnership with God for supernatural returns so that God could build his kingdom on earth. That's the purpose of promised land living. Again, it's planting and investing so that in partnership with God, God would supernaturally bless the fruitfulness of our planting and investment so that there was enough return on investment so that God could give us resource to build his kingdom on earth. That's the purpose of promised land living. Warfare has a benefit. We can advance with warfare. We can have breakthrough and deliverance. We need it. But at best, think this thought, at best, warfare only gives us a multiplication factor of seven. Proverbs 6 says, 6 and 31 says, when a thief is caught or found, he must return or restore sevenfold. Now, the enemy is a thief. He's a liar. 
roaming about seeking whom he can devour, right? He's trying to diminish the blessing of the Lord and trying to steal and rob and kill. That's what he does. The Lord gives us abundant life. I love it. He's amazing. The enemy's horrible. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So we need to know how to war so that we can force the one who's thieving from us to return from us. But the multiplication factor is not very good. It's only seven times. Now, you might say seven times is better than one. It is. It's, it's a blessing. It's a benefit. Thank you, Lord, for what we can recover. Abraham went and fought the five kings to recover all. He recovered Lot, his, 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 um, his uh, family member. And then you know what he did? He gave all the rewards to Melchizedek. There's reward for battle. No doubt about it. You can split the, the spoils, but you're only going to have a multiplication factor in the kingdom if you live off of warfare you're only going to have a multiplication factor of seven. Thank God for seven. But what if seven is far below what you were intended to live in? And what if seven will take you much longer to fill the earth with? Think about this. Promised land is about planting and investing for return that's much larger than anything warfare can provide for you. See, I, I just, this starts making me giddy because I start realizing, wow, the, what God wants to bless me with is multiplication of a factor far greater than seven in my life. Think about this. Joshua 24, verse 13. God said, I've get, gotten you a land for which you did not labor and cities for which you did not build and you will dwell in them and you will eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now that's the initial getting into the promised land. It takes fighting to get in. They had to fight the tribes and the giants. They did, they did, they did, they did. Two and a half tribes thought, nah, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of done with fighting. I don't want to do that. So they stayed on the other side of Jordan while the other tribes went in and, and they kept the, they kept the, the goods and the, all the treasures and that's okay. But it takes fighting to get into the promised land. And this is what initially happened. In the first year, they got to just live off the, off the stores of the enemies that they conquered. Fighting produces a sevenfold return. It's awesome. Warfare has a value and a benefit. But after the first year, that was what God said to them is this is not, fighting is not, and the benefit and the spoil of war is not what I intended you or brought you into the promised land for. What I, what I intended is that you now take the land and you plant and you harvest. And here's my promise, God said, I am going to multiply your harvest. And the blessing on your harvest is going to be multiplied so that all the earth, the rest of the nations are going to look at what your land produces. And they're going to, going to go, how are you getting that land to produce that much? That's a supernatural increase that's far greater than seven, a multiplication of seven. Right? That's promised land living. But it takes your investment in planting in other people's lives and, and identifying the fields of God that God sent you to plant into. It's a planting mind mentality, not a warfare mentality. That's going to get you the most return, not only in your life, but for the kingdom's sake. This, this is the adjustment that the Lord is making in my life. And I just, I pray that you, you have an ear to hear and that you are malleable and pliable in the, in the hands of God to let him make this tender adjustment inside of you as well. It's not an either or, it's both and. But the primary function and purpose of living in the promised land is not war. It's planting and harvesting, reaping and multiplying. Leviticus 26, 9. Uh, For I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful and multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. See, it's a multiplication, but it's more than sevenfold. Deuteronomy 7, verses 13 and 14. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. You also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, 
your grain, your wine, new wine and your oil and the increase of your cattle and offspring and, uh, and your flock and in the land in which he swore to give you to your fathers to give you. You will be blessed above all people and there shall not be a male or female among you who, uh, who is barren. Uh, it's interesting, new wine. He's gonna bless and increase. Um, let me go back here. He is gonna bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land. Think about that. Not the fruit of your warfare, the fruit of your land. What are you talking about? In the promised land, after the first year, they came in and inherited all the stores that were already on the shelves of the enemy houses that they, that they claimed. And so they had enough food to eat. They didn't have to plant. There was no time to plant. They came in, they warred, they got the spoil. But after the spoil, the first year, if they didn't learn to plant, they would have to keep going out and conquering more enemies and taking their spoil to eat because the manna ceased. What God intended now was for them to get to work tilling and planting and harvesting the supernatural multiplied harvest that God was give, going to give them in the, super, in the promised land. This didn't happen in the wilderness, and it certainly didn't happen in Egypt. But this is the qualifying, um, defining qualifier of the promised land. And it should be for our lives as well. See, Matthew 16, Jesus, in the parable of the sower, Jesus said, you know, th three soils didn't produce. One didn't believe at all. Two believed but didn't produce. How many believers are there in the kingdom today trying to serve Jesus? And they're actually not producing anything. Maybe they're producing a little, but they're not producing a lot. Or, or, or according to the parable of the sower, two out of the three that believed didn't produce at all. But the ones that believed, listen to the multiplication factor of promised land living. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold return. <laughs> now, any first grader can tell you that having 30 is better than having seven. And that's just a one-to-one -one ratio. We're not even talking about multiplication. But you get into middle school and any middle schooler will be able to tell you that having a multiplication factor of 30 is far greater than a multiplication factor of seven. And that's just the entrance point in promised land living. That's just the bottom line of multiplication for a kingdom worldview for those who are planting and have a planting mindset. 30, 60, 100 times the amount of natural fruitfulness God's going to bless his seed in our lives with and the seed, his seed we plant in other people's lives. Think about that. This is powerful stuff. 30, 60, hundredfold return. In the parable of talents and mina, minas, God gives us a, a glimpse into what he's really after. He's looking for servants with an investing, a planting, a multiplying mindset, not a worrying mindset. Again, warfare is essential. It gets us into and maintains our space in the promised land. But it's not the purpose of why we live. We live to invest and plant and multiply for the king's sake. Let me end with a few questions for you. These food for thought. I'm not going to, I don't have time. I'm not going to talk about 
the, the principles of planting and investing. You need to knock on your pastor's door, knock on your disciples door, disciplers door. Those who uh, you follow and teach you say, hey, you got to teach me how to plant in the promised land. Teach me how to focus on investing for the king even more than we're fighting the enemy. Here's some questions for you to help really bring this home. What is it that dominates your kingdom or your Christian worldview? Is it warfare, fighting the enemy? Or is it planting in return? Of the sum of your spiritual training, what you've been trained by those who've taught you and pastored you and loved on you and discipled you, how much has been on how to fight for your deliverance and breakthrough and even advancing and taking new territories? And how much of it has been on how to invest and plant and build in God's kingdom? Again, you, you see this gentle perspective change. Number three, are you spending more time in your life doing sports, spiritual warfare than you are spiritual planting? Did you know before you began listening to this today, did you know that spiritual planting will gain you much more of return on spiritual investment in the kingdom than any for, form of warfare can? Two more, we'll finish. What are the fields? If planting and farming and investing for a supernatural return in the kingdom is three-fifths of our assignment, according to, to Genesis 128, it might be important for us to identify where we're supposed to plant. Have you identified what are the fields that you as an individual, a believer in Christ, what are the fields that you're called to plant in? The seeds of God, the truths of God, the principles of the kingdom, the word of God. What are the fields that you have been set as a steward over to plant God's seeds in? What are the talents that God has given you? What are the gifts that you have? What are the resources that God has entrusted to you? And how are you stewarding them? Isn't that what those parables of the talents and minas tells us is coming for all of us? It's a stewardship check, not a warfare check. Lastly, as others watch your life, and are influenced by you and your walk with God, what are they learning about a Christian worldview, a kingdom worldview? Are they learning that warfare is the primary purpose of a Christian on the planet? Or are they learning that the most important thing is that we war so that we can have space to invest in people's lives so that there's enough supernatural return on that investment. God brings the increase, but out of the increase, there's enough resource to build his kingdom. And resource isn't just money. 
It's people's lives. It's the transformation in people's lives. And now God has people who are transformed to build his kingdom on. Dear ones, I love you. And I just want to challenge you. Let God put his hands in your heart, in your chest and around your heart and just make this gentle adjustment. Learn how to give yourself to investing in spiritual fields for the king's sake. Blessings. Blessings.